contrary to popular opinion, he is coming back. And the time to get ready is now before he gets here. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Tonight we want to talk about finding your part in God's heart. I want to talk about you finding your part in God's heart. Have you ever heard anybody say this before? God loves you and has a plan for your life. You ever heard that? It would, that, it really would be better said from the Bible to say this, God loves you and he has a plan for the world and you have a part in it. He needs to be the center. It's not, a, it's not about my life, it's about him. And he has a plan and he's unfolding his plan in the earth and you have a part in that plan. Every person, if you're created and most of you were created, then you have a part in that plan. And we want to talk about that tonight. Let me just, before we read this, uh, let me say this. The The whole of the Bible says two things. The whole of the Bible says that every person, every son or daughter was created or called to God, created for two things. And it we, all these books today and self-help books on helping us find our passion in life and our purpose in life. You need one book to find your purpose in life and one book to find your passion in life. And every human being was created for two things. Number one, you were created for a personal, real relationship with your creator. You were created to hear his voice and know him, not, not just know about him. Not just be good, not go to church. You were created to have a relationship with him, an ongoing relationship. You were created to hear his voice and and to enjoy that relationship. You were created to enjoy God. The Westminster Short Catechism, perhaps the greatest one ever spoken, said this. The chief aim of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. We were created to enjoy Jesus and enjoy his spirit. And your heart was designed by him to enjoy him and your heart will never find what it's looking for till it finds fellowship with Jesus. But when you come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and you hear his voice, the joy you share when you tarry there, none ever will ever know. You're created to know him. But listen, more than that, number two, the second thing we're all created for is to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. You were created to know him personally. But you were also created to be a part of this one huge master plan over the earth. Dear ones, on the day Jesus gets back, every huge plan except his plan will be junk. The Bible calls it wood, hay, and stubble. It'll burn up. All the plans of men, all the things we live for will all just be junk. There's one master plan in this universe. It is the plan of the Father for the universe. And you're called to have a part in that plan. That's where you find your part in his heart. And we want to talk about tonight, finding, finding that place. It's sort of like your dad has asked you to come into the family business and be a part of his family business with him. All right, tonight, and we want to look in Exodus 3. Listen, we're going to look at an example. The Bible is a book of how he worked and how he works today. And the Bible tells us what he did so we can learn what he does. And this is one of the greatest pictures in the Bible of how God pursues people and draws them into what he's doing in the earth. And you're going to see yourself in here. I could have picked this. I could have picked Nehemiah. I could have picked one of the apostles. But we're going to use Moses tonight in this passage. And I'm going to sort of steal some of this tonight. Uh, Preachers get in trouble for stealing from other preachers. I don't do it much. But when I do it, I like to give them credit for stealing their stuff. 
One of the greatest things I ever studied, ever went through in my life was Henry Blackaby's study experiencing God. Tremendous. Came out 20 some, maybe 30 years ago now. Henry Blackaby was a prophet to this nation from God. And the church rejected his message because he told the church in America, you've got to change the way you do business and you've got to start being a part of what God's doing in the earth, not what you want to do for him in the earth. But anyway, I learned so much from him. I'm going to steal a little bit of his stuff tonight. And of course, I'm going to throw some of my own in there too, because I don't want to just read you his book or nothing like that. So (laughs) he wrote what's called the seven realities of experiencing God. And I call it just finding your place in his heart or finding your purpose in life. And in the Bible, we see a pattern of how God always deals with people and draws them into what he's doing in the earth and draws them to himself. And you're going to see this same pattern, this man right here. Let's pick it up. Exodus chapter three. Now, let me catch up where we're at in Exodus chapter three. A man named Moses, you probably remember him. He was born in a day when it was dangerous to be a baby boy. Matter of fact, the king had commanded all the midwives, if, if the Hebrews have a baby boy, kill him right then. Kill him right then. And so that was the order of the king. So all the Hebrew babies are being killed. Who was behind that? Satan knew God was up to something. Listen, Satan doesn't know everything the king's doing, but he always knows when he's doing it. I can't explain this. So he, he knew a deliverer was coming. So he said, I know he'll be born soon. So he just had the wicked king kill all the babies, knowing he'd get him in there. Do you remember that happening somewhere else? When Jesus was born, the wicked king heard a, a king was coming. He said, kill all the babies. Satan's behind this killing the baby stuff. And so what happened was this edict to kill the, well, his mama was a, she was a Texas woman. She wasn't scared of the king. She had guts. She birthed that baby and hit him and, and put him in a basket of, with tar and just floated him in the river and told the sister, you get, you stay in the bushes and watch. And uh, so she's watching. All of a sudden, it just so happens the, the, the uh, princess, the king's daughter, comes down to take a bath in the river, sees this basket, pulls it up and says, there's a baby in here, a Hebrew. And uh, Miriam, the young girl, she steps up. She said, um, would you like for me to go get a, maybe a woman, a nurse that can nurse this baby? She said, oh, yeah, go get one. So she goes and says, mama. So Ms. Mama comes and she says, I'd be glad to do it. She says, I'll pay you to take care of your baby. She didn't know it was her baby. So she takes care of this baby. This boy grows up. He's the son of Pharaoh's grandson. He is privileged. He's educated under Ramses. He's got the life of O'Reilly leisure. And, uh, but in his heart, he always knew I am a deliverer. You know, if, if God's created you to do something, you just always do it naturally. Those he created for music, just sing. Those he created to teach, just dig. Those he created to deliver are always standing in defending people. And Moses was always just defending people. Well, one day he goes out and he, you know, he rode, he didn't, you know, he didn't ride a mule. He rode in a high dollar. And so he sees this fight. He sees a, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Moses, the Bible said, look this way, look that way and just killed him. A little on the dirty, hairy side too. He's still, Moses was redneck. I'm, I'm just telling you, all through his life, he was, he was just mean. So he just kills him and uh, buries him in the sand. Didn't even call the morticians. He just buried him right there. The next day he sees two Hebrews fighting and he said, well, why are y'all doing this? And the guy said, you're going to kill me like you did the guy yesterday? He said, I have been found out. So he splits. He's, a, he's 40 years old. He's a fugitive from justice now and he runs. He goes out and hides in the desert. He's sitting at a well one day. And these girls come up to water their sheep. 
and he's just sitting there. He, he don't know where he's at. He's never been here before. And all of a sudden these redneck bully shepherds come up and start roughing these girls up. Guess what Moses does? He jumps up there and whoops them. Just leave these girls alone, whoops them, and then helps them water their flocks. And they go home and tell their daddies to this guy. He said, you got a man who'll do that and you left him? Go get him. <laughs> so they bring Moses to this guy's house. And uh, he likes the guy. He says, you know, I need, I need to live somewhere. I need a life. So the Bible said that he just hooked up with him, became a ranch hand for him, a shepherd ranch hand. And the Bible said he was content to live his life there. He can't go back to where he's from. He can't do anything great anymore. He just got to make a living and hide in the desert for the rest of his days. And matter of fact, he married one of those girls that he met at that well one day, had two boys. And that's his life. And he's missed his calling. It haunts him because his mama told him all his years, God has raised you up to deliver your people. And this thing haunts him for 40 years. He hides in the desert 40 years, just tending these stinking sheep, which is the lowest job in that culture. And uh, it just haunts him that I'll never get to do what God put in my heart to do. Well, surprise, one day he's tending them sheep, chapter three. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, took him to the backside of the desert, came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Now he didn't know it was the mountain of God. He got surprised. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the middle of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush wasn't burning wasn't consumed. It was burning, wasn't consumed. Verse three, Moses said, I'll, I'll turn aside and see this great sight. Why this bush doesn't burn. Never, I mean, bushes burned all the time and they still do in that part of the world. But this was a fire in a bush and it wasn't consuming the bush. It's weird. He said, I'm, I'm going to look at this thing. So he goes over to look, verse four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him from the midst and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. He said, don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off. The place where you stand is holy ground. He said to him, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses is scared. He hid his face because he, he, he grew up hearing about this God, but he never knew him personally. And the Lord said, here's the key verse. I have surely seen the oppression of my people here in Egypt. I've heard their cry. Actually, it would mean prayer there. I've heard them pray to me because of their taskmasters, I know their sorrows. The Hebrew word sorrows is better translated pain. The word no doesn't mean know about it. It means I feel at heart level. He, he, he could have said this. I, I, they've prayed to me. I've heard it. And he said, my heart is broken over what they're going through. That's what it means. I know their pain. My, I feel the pain they're going through. And so God's just opening his heart wide open to this fugitive who didn't even know him hardly. And uh, verse eight, What's the first word in verse eight? So I'm fixing, because my heart is tender, I'm fixing to do something. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good large land, a land full of milk and honey. And then he tells them the exact place, the location. He said, I'm gonna take them out of this pain they're in and I'm gonna bring them to a great life. And uh, then he says, verse nine again, their cry has come to me. I've seen the oppression. In verse 10, come now though, for I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. My goodness, what a day in the life of a country boy. I mean, just, he's just standing there taking off. And then you know what happened? We won't go into it. Moses goes in this long rigmarole 
I can't speak. I'm not able. They won't say you sent me. I don't know what to tell them. I'm a fugitive, yada, yada. And the Lord is very patient with him over and over and over. He's patient. He's patient. He's patient. Finally, it said the Lord just had had it with his jibber jabber. I don't know if it says it like that in your Bible. He said the Lord was aggravated and he said, I will be in your mouth. And he finally got him to understand you don't need to be great. I'm great. I'll be great. I just need a warm body and you're it. Just do what I tell you to do. And so, you know, once you've sort of aggravated the father, you, you about say that will be done. In this passage right here, we see a pattern of how God interacts with people and draws them into what he's doing that is consistent all through the Bible. And to this day, and every one of you are in here, you're in this right here. I want to give you these seven realities, these seven pictures of, of what we see here. And again, this is not sacred. This is just to help us understand. Uh, Moses prayed one of the greatest prayers ever prayed. He said, teach me your ways. Teach me how you do things. And then was we, we, oh, the American church for so long, we've cried out to God, learn our ways. It just don't work like that. Teach me your ways. Well, the Bible sent to teach you his ways. And I want to show you how he's dealing in your life right now in some things. And you'll see this. Uh, seven realities of experiencing God. The pattern all through the Bible, but we're going to see here. Number one, the Father is always at work in the earth and near you. Then as God didn't work in Bible days, if there's a globe still turning, he's working today. Listen to me. According to this book, God is always at work in the earth and he's at work somewhere near where you are. That, that's from scripture. I'll just, I won't take the time because I don't want to belong these, but John chapter five, I love John five, uh, 17, where it said this, my father is working now. It was God's working in the earth today. A lot of people bemoan the condition of the earth that I don't think he's ever worked in the earth more than he is right now. You just don't see it on NBC and CNN. And you don't see it in the organized established churches. God is doing great things in the earth right now. He said in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and I'll be doing things in the earth. God's always working in the earth and he's working around you. And, but listen to me from scripture and from, from personal experience, what he's doing in the earth is usually hidden. People can't see what he's doing. Uh, you know, we see the visible organized church with its buildings and its programs, but different I'm not, I'm not being unkind, but you've got, you've got the kingdom of church and then you've got the kingdom of God. Yes, they interlapped at times and still do. But it's not about what the church is planning. It's about what God is planning. It's about what he's doing in the earth. And he is working in churches. But uh, most of what he does is people can't see it. You, you got people like uh, the multitude of people in the nation and the land. They don't have a clue what God's doing in the earth these days. They don't even know if there is a God or not. Listen to what the Bible said about what God's doing in the earth in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field that you can find. And if you ever find what he's doing, you'll, get, you'll sell everything you've got to be a part of it. Right, let, me, let me give you an example. See if you agree with this. Uh, sometime back, uh, it was just a typical summer night in a, in a modern city for that modern city. And there was, there was the big issues of the day. You had politics, who was running, who was mad, who was fighting. You had sports teams going on. You had, you had government, you had business affair, all this going on. And out in a shed, a, just a shed, a lean-to, 
behind a cheap hotel, a little teenage girl that got pregnant gave birth to a baby. Nobody noticed. Nobody knew it. Was God working that night? He saved the world that night and nobody even knew it. What he does is hidden in the earth oftentimes, but he's, remember this, he's always working. Number one, he's always at work around you. Number two, the father is always pursuing a love relationship with you. He is always pursuing you. I don't care what your circumstances are. I don't care what you've been through. This book teaches, his heart teaches, he is always after you. And he's, he's not, he don't need you to work for him. I don't need my children to work for me. I want my children to be my children. This is the message of the Bible. This is the message of eternity. God is pursuing you for a love affair, for a relationship as a father. Second Corinthians six fourteen, one one of my favorites. I will be a father to them and they will be like sons and daughters to me. They will be sons and daughters to me. You know, I, I never did much work for my parents. They did more for me than I did for them. My kids said, I've done more for them than they've done for me. It's about the relationship. Many times people say, oh God, what do you want me to do? And he'll just say to you, walk with me and talk with me and be my friend. We have got to get the relationship above the underwear washing. My wife did not get married to wash underwear. She didn't get married to cook. I didn't get married to whatever I do. She got married to have a relationship with a man and have a friend and be in a love affair. I got married for the, now yes, we wash. Yes, we, one of us washes, one of us cooks. I do some stuff once in a while. But if you lose the relationship and all you got is the washing and the cooking, you ain't got nothing. It's the relationship that is supreme. Before he ever calls you to help him, he calls you to know him. Remember when Jesus called the 12? Many people don't quote it correctly. Remember what it said? And he chose 12 to be with him and that he might send them out to preach. He wanted them to be with him before he sent them out. And he's always calling people into a, a, a relationship, a love affair, uh, as he does. What, what is... What is the great message of Luke chapter 15, which is where Jesus is just wraps himself in sinful people and sits with sinners and talks to them and laughs with them and eats with them and loves on sinners and preachers say, why do you hang around such people? And Jesus just said, you don't know God. If a man had a hundred sheep and lost one, what would he do? Write him off, go fishing. He would go after the one that's lost until he found him. And then he would rejoice and lay him on his shoulders. What's that picture of? It's the picture of Jesus revealing that the father is after relationship. Of course, the great, there's three parables in Luke 15. The great one is the prodigal son. When the, when the boy came back to his father after such a wicked life and the father said, all right, I forgive you this time, but get your butt back out in the field, get busy. No, he said, come in and let us eat. And he called him into relationship. He was trying to call the other kid into relationship. He wouldn't come. Dylan's relationship is more important to him than anything, that you get to know him personally as a father and as a friend. Number three, in that relationship, the father reveals to you what he's doing in the earth and then calls you to join him in what he's doing. Is that not what happened with Moses? God revealed himself to Moses. He said, I'm the God that your fathers knew. And I want you to learn to hear my voice. I want me and you to talk. And then what did he say? I love this Exodus 3. It's one of those tender, blessed passages in the Bible because God opens his very heart and says, my heart is aching over my people. I hear their prayers. They don't think I hear me, but I hear their prayers. 
I feel the pain they're going through. And then he said, I am coming to deliver them. So much because my heart is birthed. There was the heart of God is aching over humanity. The heart of God aches over the little teenage girl who gets pregnant. Nobody will speak to her. The heart of God aches over the lonely old folks sitting there by themselves that nobody ever rings the phone again. The heart of God aches for humanity. If you don't learn anything else out of this Bible, learn this. The heart of God aches to help humanity. And you see, he didn't show Moses his whole heart. Nobody sees his whole heart because nobody can do everything and he's doing. But he'll show you your, he showed Moses, this is the part I want you playing in my plan. And this is why I'm showing you what's important to me right here. And he'll show you the part he wants for you to play. Now listen, he wants you to be his, his daughter, his son, his friend, but he also wants you to help him help people. That's the two things we were created to do, to know him personally and to help him work in this earth. And he reveals what he's doing to you in that thing. And, and uh, as, he, as you get to know him, he begins to reveal these things to you. He did this with Moses. Let me ask you a question. When God speaks, does he make people sad? Be careful, but be real careful. Most of the time he brings joy, but there's a guy named Nehemiah. God had blessed him. He had a great job. He had a government job. Bought him a little beamer. He's having a good life. Just enjoying his life and going along. And all of a sudden, uh, one day a friend was there and he, he said, tell me about the people from my hometown. This is Nehemiah chapter one, verses two through four. He said, tell me about the people from my hometown. And he said, it's terrible. They're destroyed. They're in great distress. Their homes are destroyed. And verse four, he said, when I heard that, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And the king said, why are you so sad? You're never like this. Why was he so brokenhearted and weeping? Because God had showed him his part in God's heart. And he said, now I'm sending you to Jerusalem to help those people that are in such. Listen, people are on the heart of God. His heart, it's just people. That's all it is. It's not about buildings or programs or, you know, church starting on time. Or, of course, we need to because of TV here. But I've known preachers that are just angry. Back when we didn't even have TV, they make the church. Church needs to you know, honor God by starting on time. I said, why don't you just raise hell and kick them all? I just get ugly about it. <laughs> church, Jesus said the Sabbath is for the man. The church is for the people. It's all about people. I shouldn't have said hell in church. I'm sorry. It's all about people. I'm really more concerned about mean preachers than I am my language. I'm working on both, but I'm, I'm trying to get better. I'm sorry. All right. He showed Nehemiah, listen to Nehemiah 2.12. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for those people. And he brings you into what he's doing by showing you what's going on. Uh, Joseph, everybody thought life was so good. He starts working in Joseph's life because God can see What's 17 plus 24 years down the road, the worst famine in world history is going to hit this land and I'm going to be using you, getting you ready through this period. You're going to save the world. And see, he, he knows out there. He knows way out there. He's doing stuff in your life that you, you don't even know where you, what you're going to have for breakfast in the morning. He's working 20 years down the road. He's calling you to what he's doing way down the road. His plans are finished before the foundation of the world. And he's working in you. And by the way, this you so I'm, I ain't got 20 years left. Yeah, yeah, you do. Moses was 80 when he got going. So I don't want to hear that. It ain't time for Biscuitville yet. I mean, you can go, just don't live there. All right. How about you? 
Would he do this with you? you say, I'm not Moses. Who was Moses? We're the one that made a rock star out of him. <laughs> Moses was the trash collector hiding from the feds. <laughs> We're the ones that make rock stars out of these guys. Listen, to Elijah, the, the Bible distinctly says in James 5, Elijah was a man just like you. Yeah. We got to get off this great people stuff. It's a great God. The Lord is great and he prefers people like this. That's just his nature. All right, let me, let me show you this. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians three. Where are people talking about serving the Lord? We got to get this thing right from the Bible. I don't, I'm not going to go do something for God. I want to find out what he's doing and what my part is in that. That's biblical. I said it before, the large majority of what I see going on in the name of church today is not the Father working, it's people trying to do something. And that's why it's so fruitless. It was when God sends a redneck cowboy like Moses with a stick, two million people get delivered. I mean, something happens when God's in it. Big things happen. All right, this is the, this is the passage where we learn about working in the earth. First Corinthians 3. And uh, this is Paul talking about himself. Let me tell you why he's talking about himself here. People got to puffing him up too much. People got to praising him too much and he didn't like it. So he says to, he writes him a letter, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We're just ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. What do you say right there? God gets the credit, not me. I planted, Apollos watered. Watch this. God made things happen. You can talk to people, you can do ministry, you can help people, you can try to do things, but God's got to cause good things to happen. The Lord's got to give the increase. Increase means he caused things to happen. Verse seven, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the increase. You got that? We got to quit making rock stars out of Christian celebrities and singers and preachers and teachers. It's him who causes good things to happen. Now here's the picture, verse three, verse nine. We are God's fellow workers. Some Bibles say co-laborers. Does he send me to do something? No, he takes me with him. We're co-laborers together. When I was in college, I worked one summer with a fellow and he was a high-tech startup technician on the top of these bank towers and stuff. For, and I, they, I was his helper. We were friends. I was his helper. Well, I didn't, I was, I didn't even go up there by myself, but everywhere we went, I went with him and I just helped him for whatever he needed. Then when I no human being has ever done anything great in his kingdom. God did it. And we are his co-laborers together. We're his fellow workers. It, did it, now we got a confusing deal there in Exodus chapter three. I thought God said in verse nine, I'm going to go deliver them. Now what he said, I've come to deliver them. Why do you say in verse 10, I'm sending you? Who's going to do the job? Which one of them did the job? Both of them did. We, we got to re-shape our thinking God is working in the earth and he's calling me to join him in what he's doing. And as he reveals this to us, we begin to, we begin to see this. All right, number four. <clears throat> so how does he show me? All right, the father shows you by his spirit what he's doing and calls you in by his spirit. And there are five ways he does this primarily. And uh, let, me, let me just say this to you. It usually don't come in a 20 second span. This ain't no, I was reading a book one night stuff. Over time, this happens. There are five ways that he speaks to us and shows us what he's doing. And, and uh, I think Mr. Blackaby said he invites us into it. Well, I didn't get an invitation. I got told you coming with me. I got, I got called into it. And you say, well, you're a preacher. Well, who are you? 
we got to get off this preacher, non-preacher stuff. Dear ones, we are able ministers of the new covenant, whether you got a certificate or not. Everybody is in ministry. Everybody. He don't, un- he looks at them and says, Gabriel, what are they talking about down there with this preacher clergy stuff? I didn't make that up. Everybody's called by him to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. And there are five ways he does that. Number one is through his word. The primary way he speaks is through his word because in his word, you learn his heart. There was this in the word of God that we learn the heart of God. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Who would do that? We see all through the Bible, the word of God knocks this religious thing off of us that he's an angry God, mad because everybody's sinning. If he's angry, you wouldn't be here. He's that big doc. He's not angry. He loves the world. Jesus looked at the city who told him, who abused him, cursed him, threw him out and All he had to do was say, angels, boom. There wouldn't have been a piece of dust left. He stood at the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. And he said, all I wanted to do was gather you as a hen gathers her chicks and you won't let me help you. That's the heart of God on display. He wants to help people. And you see his heart in the Bible. You see his activity in the Bible. He did not come to make people religious. You know how I know that? Because Jesus wasn't religious. And Jesus is the revelation of the father. And his disciples were Simon and uh, Andrew and James and John, all my fellow redneck fishermen. And they cussed far worse than I do. And they were in Jesus' class. They did a whole lot better than that. He just, he shows us his activity. He shows us his patterns. That's why you spend time in God's word to learn about him and what's going on in the earth. Number two, he'll show you through prayer. Prayer is not just putting our wish list up there. And once in a while, my wife asked me to do something, very rarely. Once in a while, I'll ask her to do something more than she does me, but not much. Most of the time we talk, we're just enjoying each other. Most of our prayers should just be gratitude, thanksgiving, enjoying the Father. But as you pray, he begins to put things in your heart and he begins to show you things through prayer. But we need to bring prayer back in the church. You know, we've been real big on worship and teaching and all this stuff. Prayer was supposed to be the driving force. Do you remember when Jesus said, my house should be called a house of music? You don't remember that. My house should be called a house of preaching. Remember that? My house should be called a house of prayer. If you swap, I get bored praying. I understand. He who created the sunset don't make anything boring. He's not boring. We're missing something in prayer if it's not the great if it's not the greatest joy of your life. But he's called you to pray. You know, if you say what what anything in the world you know outside of spirit stuff, what would you do? Me and my sweetheart would go out to eat. We'd just sit there and talk. We wouldn't get nothing done. Oh yeah, I would. I would enjoy her. Listen, I work hard. I believe in working hard, but I was not created to work hard. I was created for people, relationships, and to be in a relationship with the Father. And you were too. And uh, he speaks to us through prayer. We learn how to pray. All right, number three, this is the big one. He speaks to you through your heart. He speaks to you through your heart. You've heard everybody say, boy, the Lord's just burdened my heart for this. That's how he talks to you. I want you to look at that with me. Turn the book of Nehemiah. I I mentioned him earlier. Let's look at this. Nehemiah was, uh, I think Nehemiah is the great book. It's the great picture of how the Father works in people's lives in the earth, even today. I'm gonna give you some living examples of this. All right, Nehemiah told you he was a, he was a foreigner, but he'd settled down in this Babylon. He, he, he liked it there. He got a good government job. He was well-paid. He had a very easy life. 
He was respected. He was way up in the king's cabinet. And, uh, but you know, you always love your hometown. His hometown was Jerusalem, back in another country. And uh, he loved his hometown, but he had a great life. And he had great plans, just like we all got plans. Watch what happens. Um, verse 2, Nehemiah 1-2. Hanani, one of my brethren, a kinsman like a cousin, came with men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who were living there uh, in Jerusalem. He said to me there, they left, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall is broken down. The gates are burned with faces. Your city's in a mess. Your family's in a mess. Watch verse four. So when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying for the God of heaven. What happened? God spoke to him through his broken heart. You know what happened? God showed him what was in God's heart for that city. The there have been times where I'll see great needs in ministry that, and there'd be a great need and it don't do nothing to me. I just think, well, I hope somebody helps them. Didn't affect me. Well. And then again, I'll, a need will come up or something will come up and my heart will just ache for that. That's him talking to me right there saying, this is something I want you in. We got, we've got to learn to be a part of what he's, what he's calling us to in the earth. We don't need to do good things. We need to do God things. And this passage in Nehemiah shows us how that God laid a burden on this. Matter of fact, he just crushed his heart with the heart of God. And out of that experience, out of that broken heart, this man, well, you're gonna see what he did. He quit his job, gave up his salary and went and lived a very rough life, but he wanted to help the people. And he helped them get their lives back. And God called him into what he was doing in the earth. And he blessed him tremendously in just a tremendous way. And, and, and he says it, you can read chapter two, verse 12. He said, I told no one what my God put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. He'll do the same thing for you. You're just enjoying God walking along and all of a sudden something will just catch your heart. It might be teenagers. It might be old people. It might be a certain segment of a population. It might be the need to do something, but I mean, it'll just, it'll just, it'll just, it'll just lay there. It'll roll around in your heart like a marble in a shoebox. Days and days and days. And you'll, and you'll say, you, you'll want to help those people. You'll have a desire to help those people. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you something in your heart, the desires of your heart. Yes, we, we got to help those people. Well, I know people that have got the heart of evangelism or the heart of personal ministry. And, and doing it, one of the great mistakes we make is we think if God's put something in my heart, then everybody should do it. No, no. I told no one what God put in my heart, my part. And you got to hear what he's calling you to do. Listen, if you're a believer, there's something he wants you doing in the earth with him. And he'll put it in your heart. He'll show you. But it'll always center around this, helping people. It's always about helping people. And, it, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to give you, an, well, let me just give you an example. I have a young lady that, uh, matter of fact, we, Sean previewed her minister. Her name is Meredith. She's a beautiful young lady. She's married to, her husband is the worship minister over at St. Mark's Church. They have a recording studio. She's a, a smart girl. She's got double uh, graduate degrees. She's homeschooling five children. I just heard that and I just said, to God be the glory. You up there, Mother Teresa, far I'm concerned. She's got five children and she's homeschooling them. And you, she's got her life. She's helping her husband with the business. She's homeschooling her five children. Uh, you can tell I'm staggered by that. That girl's got a busy life. And she was, she's from a pretty well-to-do situation. But her heart began to just be bothered about the young teenage girls in this county who are pregnant in high school. Well, that's not her. She wasn't like that. She was, a, she was just raised in a wonderful home and had this storybook life. That's not her life at all. She didn't come out of that. 
But her heart began to just ache for it and she couldn't get it off her mind. And she began to weep over these girls. And why doesn't somebody help them? And they need it. They, they could be helped if somebody just get, that just stayed on her heart all the time. You know what's happening? You know what's happening? God was showing her what he's wanting to do in this part of the world. And he's calling her to be a part of it. He speaks to you through your heart. You say, well, he don't ever put nothing on my heart. Draw closer. I can't find anybody in the Bible that walked with him that he didn't, put, that he didn't show them something. I want you helping right here. I've had men in my church in the past that they were just bothered by the fact that these young boys today don't have dads. So they started, a, they didn't call it the Boy Scouts or the, look more like the dang Marines to me. They just started this thing where they'd take these boys and help them teach them how to be men. They enjoyed it. Well, God put that on their hearts because God has a heart for young boys that don't have dads. You understand what I'm saying here? He has a heart for the earth and you're not supposed to take care of all of it, but you have a part in his heart somewhere. And he showed Moses, this is your part right here. Just like he showed that to Nehemiah, speak through your heart. Number four, I just speak through his word, through prayer. He'll put, put stuff in your heart. Number four, he'll speak through your circumstances around you. Your company moves you. You say, what am I doing out in this forsaken place? How do you know he wasn't in it? I mean, pray about it, but he's always speaking to you through your circumstances around you. We saw that uh, two weeks ago, Revelation chapter three, verses seven and eight. I open doors and nobody closes them. I close doors, nobody opens them. Verse eight, I have set before you an open door and he'll put opportunities in front of you. Sometimes people just come up and just ask you to do something and you, it, and you gotta have the full with all in the heart to know this is God talking to me. This is him calling me into this part of what he's doing. And listen to me, his calling is not a permanent calling. I know people that God called them to do something he moved on to something else 20 years ago and they're still hammering on it. Then was the wind blows where he wishes, not where he did 40 years ago. If he moves, do me a favor, move with him. Flex on, dude. That's probably not in the Bible. He'll speak through your circumstances. Listen, be careful. Not every open door is him, but he will open doors and set you up. And you always, if you get into something, just look around and you say, I wonder what he's saying to me by these people around me by what my company's done to me, this neighborhood. What are my circumstances saying to me right here? Always be looking at your circumstances for what he's saying. And then number five, he'll talk to you through people. God will speak to you through people. Now listen, the devil will talk to you through people. He'll give you opportunities through people. But the Father will speak to you through people. I love how Paul told young Timothy, stay right where you're at, fulfill your ministry. Be a part, do, finish what you started doing. He told Titus the same thing. God, you believe God will speak through people. It's been 20 years, some years ago. I left the ministry. My, my hobby's leaving the ministry. I left the ministry and just, God just loved my family. It was the best time my family, just raising my kids. And I drove, bought a truck. I'm driving my truck, having a big, I'm just enjoying my life. And uh, my wife's aunt, dear, dear lady, she passed away. They asked me to do the funeral. So I did it. And uh, I just loved her dearly. Did the funeral, got done. And she had a son-in-law that's just a great guy, very blessed man. Name's Lenny, just a wonderful guy. And I, we'd like, uh, he'd taken us out on his boat a time or two. We weren't close to him. We didn't live near each other. They were just a little older than us, but I always loved Lenny and Sandra, just great guys. And uh, he was a very, uh, sort of a reserved guy, blessed in business, wealthy businessman. And after that service, he, he came up walking over to me, got me by my swap. He just had this funny look on his face and he said, uh, I hope I don't offend you, but he stood me. He just remembered he took my time. Just tell you, he said, 
you got no business being a truck driver. He said, God's called you to do something and you need to go do it. Well, I was totally out of character for him. I mean, just, just as such a nice guy. Well, I thought, well, I, I said, well, I appreciate your, your uh, I thank you. Appreciate it. Let's go eat. Let's get out of here before you say something else. And that was the beginning of him speaking to me saying, like he said to, like he said to uh, Elijah, what are you doing out here? It was God will speak through people. Always, now not everybody, a lot of people are just jibber jabbering. The devil will speak through them. You need to tune your heart to the voice of God through people. Does this Bible not speak that, tell you that God speaks to you through people? You don't see that through scriptures? Sure. But you say, well, that's, that's Bible people. You are Bible people. The word is still being written. The book of Acts is still being written. You are in it. We got to get over this them us. We is them. We are the people of God. We need to start believing big like this stuff. Okay, that's how he speaks to you. But listen, he'll show you what he's doing through his spirit. And number five, the fifth thing. When the father calls you or leads you into what he's doing, you're going to have a crisis. Did Moses have a crisis on his hands? I got, these, I got to get these sheep back to the shop. Uh, you know, I got a wife. She don't even know you. And you telling me I got to pack up and go back to where my head almost got cut off. And my boys need a daddy. And Jethro's been real good to me. I can't leave him with that. When God calls you into something, there's going to be a crisis of belief and plans. And that's going to require faith. You go out to say, I hope he's in this. There's nothing wrong with saying, I hope he's in this. And it's going to require action. You got to do something. God don't just say, I've called you to do this. You'll say, okay, bye. See you when I get to heaven. You got to do something. I love this part of the truth. And all through the Bible, when Moses had heard that, Moses got done arguing finally. So I guess he's sending me. Now I guess what he's got to do. He's got to get a, he's got to go back and tell Jethro, look, I appreciate the job. I'm resigning. Tell his wife, uh, God talked to me and she said, who's that? She didn't know God. She didn't believe in him. She was a pagan. And uh, tell his boys, daddy's leaving. These are real people. Same thing you'd have to go through. And he, he, you know, he, he, he's, he says, Jethro says, you, you can do what? He says, I'm going to take on the world's most powerful man. I'm going to take all his servants from him. Jethro says, what are you going to do it with? He said, you see this stick right here? Me and my stick going to go get them. So that's where the faith comes in. Don't you? There's, Moses was a real man just like you. Don't you know when he said it, when he was telling us, he heard himself, he said, he said I, did, I did not just say that. I just told them I'm going to take my stick and I'm going to go take two million people and I'm going to lead them through the wilderness and we're going to start a nation with this stick. Our father loves this kind of stuff. He is a God of faith. If you can do it, he's not in it. We're doing stuff that we could do without God around our churches these days. If you can do it, he ain't in it. He, all through this Bible, he always calls people to do things they can't do. He told David at 13 years old, go kill the most powerful warrior in the world. Take your slingshot. This is all through the Bible. Dear ones, you, I want him to call you to do something where you, you go, I ain't telling nobody that. They'll lock me up. That's God. That's our God. This piddly stuff of, I'm going to get shot. Dear ones, 
this book tells me he calls people to do things that are way beyond their ability because he wants to show off his power. And he called Moses and said, I want you to take that stick, old man, 80 years old, take that stick. You can take your walker. <laughs> Go rescue 2 million people and whoop the world's most powerful man. Do it with that stick. We read this so much we forgot how crazy it was. But he's at a crisis now. He's got to either obey God or disobey him. And it looks crazy because y'all know the story. And you're going to be in the same place. Y'all going to be in the same place. It's going to happen to you too. But you, you're going to, it's a crisis and it requires faith and action. You got to do something, but it's going to take great faith. All right, Mark chapter one, verse 17. Jesus did this all, every, God just does people this way. He walked up to two redneck fishermen, an unlicensed preacher with a old school bus, had Jesus saves written on the back. I don't know. <laughs> two guys are fishing. He pulls up and walks out on the beach and he says to them, follow me. He starts walking off. They said, well, uh, my business. Well, well, my wife expects me at six for dinner. I, my kids got a softball game tonight. They were people just like us. They were, every time Jesus revealed what he was doing, Father revealed him, you're at a crisis of faith that requires action. And you're at a crisis of plans because you, you can't do your plans and his. His are better. And it, you, this is a crisis for people. Um, this, this just happens. My buddy, I mentioned Meredith. You know, Meredith's got, God's put this call in her heart to help these girls. She, I, you know, I know what she said. I know she's so sweet. She'd just say, I will be done. I'd say, okay, be glad to, glad to. Well, I've got to raise my husband. I'm raising five kids. I'm homeschooling five kids. I'm helping with that business. I'll take care of all the teenage girls. And how about if I drive a bus for evangelism too? You got anything else you want me to do? That would be, there was it. There was this young girl with this full life all of a sudden gets this thing. She's at a crisis of faith. Where am I going? How am I going to do it? Where am I going to find the time to do it? Listen to me. Quit trying to figure out the details. Your responsibility is to say, yes. Thy will be done. I hope you in the details. He will be. He'll work all that out. It, Moses kept fussing so much. Finally, the Lord said, fine. I'll send Aaron with you. Aaron can be your spokesman. I'll give you the words. You give them to him. He can be the spokesman. Did Aaron go with him? Yeah. Did Aaron ever say one word? No. Moses finally got it and took over. All right, dear ones, you see this with people. Let me, let me uh, it's like my friends Jay and Christy Doss. They started this ministry called Living Free. They're normal people. They were at one time. They're having a wonderful life. They got, you know, Jay, they got a business. Jay's, he, he did some construction work on our house. And uh, they're just raising their kids, having a wonderful life. And all of a sudden, God just drops this thing on them. Help people that are in addiction. You know why God told them to do that? Because he has a heart for people in addiction. We look down our noses at people who can't do no better than that. God's heart aches for people like that. His heart aches for people. And he told Jay and Chris, he said, I'm showing you my part, your part and my heart. Do this. All right, they're at a crisis now. Crisis of, I mean, we got kids. We got a mortgage. I think, I don't know. It's none of my business. I had a house. I'm assuming they had a mortgage. They got a business to run. They got kids to raise. What do we do? And, uh, but, but the issue was not for them to figure out all the details. The issue was for them to say, yes, we'll do it. Just like you, same thing with you when he calls you to do it, which leads us to number six. Here's where we get in trouble. Number six, you must make adjustments in your life to join him. Did Moses have to make any adjustments? Really? 
He had to change vocations. His, his wife got so mad at him, she almost killed him. Not everybody's going to understand what God's doing. Did Nehemiah, I mean, did Nehemiah have to make some adjustments? He had to sell his condo. He had to sell his Beamer. He lost all his, he lost his salary. He lost the most comfortable jobs, job, and he went into a difficult, you, you can't, America is Jesus on the side. There ain't no such a Jesus in this Bible. You got to make adjustments in your life to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. And so I don't know if I want to do that or not. You're going to miss the greatest opportunity of your life if you don't get in on what he's doing in the earth. Everybody has to make major adjustments to be a part of what he's doing there. I've got a friend, Gene Ray, is a wonderful guy. Gene was saved. If ever anybody got saved in their life, Gene got saved. He was a bad guy. He got saved. He loved God passionately. And just to show you how he works, he's living over in High Point, was living in High Point. That's where I met him at. <clears throat> Actually, I met him in prison. I, was, I, wasn't the, guest. I was the guest. <laughs> met him in prison. <clears throat> and he gets out by a miracle of God. And he's just being a good Christian man. He's got a great wife. He's just doing life, loving God. It's different. It's wonderful now. All of a sudden, his heart became heavy for the Vietnamese people in the community of High Point, especially the kids. So he starts helping these kids with education and just, he just became a father to them, began to help the people. And all of a sudden, he realized, you know, the father's showing me what he's doing in the earth and showing me what he wants me to do. So the father says to him, yep, I'm sending you to Vietnam. And I want you to go over there and I want you to do, I want you to have a church. I want you to do prison work. I mean, uh, excuse me, I want you to work with the kids in the schools. I want you to feed people. I want you to go over and help. And uh, let me tell you something, Gene is countryer than I am. He speak you no Vietnam, none. And Gene, like me, is incapable of learning it. I, 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 I butchered Spanish when I tried. I'd go down there to Latin America and I'd say, well, what do you think about my Spanish to my interpreter? He said, you need to go back to America and learn English. You can't even speak English, which you can't do. <laughs> I, I couldn't, that wing chong bong, all that stuff. I'd... How can I help the people if I can't speak their language? Quit building barriers that he can knock down. Oh, yes. That's good. And he went and he's had the most miracle ministry over there. I mean, God was in it. Has he, did he have to make adjustments? Yeah. The coldest day of the year where he's at is 95 degrees. You think it's hot here? He lives in the, the Mekong Delta. Remember that from Vietnam War? I mean, that's like living in an armpit all your life. It is hot and wet. It's just nasty. But you know what? The father just blesses the fire out of him and good things just happening there. How about you? What if God begins to put something on your heart and begins to show you what he's doing in the earth? I got folks that God has called to pray and I mean pray. And he shows them what to pray for. And when they pray, their souls split in half. They ache and sob before God and they pray with the spirit of God. And that's all he's called them to do is just pray for people. He said, well, they don't have any effective ministry. This world moves by prayer. When you saw Billy Graham preach, he was just reaping what somebody sowed in prayer. The world moves by prayer. God's hand moves by prayer. And he's called people to do that. You say, when I pray 10 minutes, I'm bored. Then he hadn't called you to do that. He's, but there is something in his heart that you have a part in. And you need to find out what it is. Uh, I got a friend who went into the trucker ministry. He set up a little thing down there at the truck stop. And, you know, truck drivers are lonely. They're on the roads by themselves. A lot of them are pagans. All of them I met with pagans. And, and he just began to set up and minister in the truck stop. 
I got a friend of mine went into the rodeo ministry. He started being a rodeo guy himself, started riding and would go to the rodeo, set up a little table and he, he, he learned how to talk cowboy. And he became a rodeo rider and ministered and held devotions at the rodeos and he loved it. You know what? There is some place in his heart that you've got a part and he wants to draw you into it. And uh, listen, let me tell you about him. He is a unique father and he is very creative. So how many men have I known that God called them, maybe women too, I don't know many women, mostly men, God called them into ministry. So they went to their church and said, God's called me into ministry and the church told them what to do and they were miserable for 30 years. They should have stuck around, let him tell them what to do. He called you, let him tell you what to do. Don't get in this cookie cutter stuff like the American church is. I had a friend who was a pastor for 30 years and hated it. But if that's what God wants me to do, I'll do it. You won't hate what he calls you to do. And then he got retired from that and he went to work as a visitation pastor for church and loved it. And he said, bonk. That's what he was calling me to do the whole time. And I spent 30 years doing what the church told me to instead of doing what he called me to do. Let him show you what he wants you to do. And it'll be, it'll be uniquely suited to you. Now, let me give you the last one. As you obey him, begin to get involved in what he's doing in the earth. You begin to experience him working in the earth through you. And you'll see things happen that only God could do. I have letters stacked that thick of, of people that things have happened, I guess, under my ministry. But I guarantee you, I had nothing to do with it. I was just the warm body standing there. Only God could have done that. Well, I, you, you may, it's not us to, up to us to determine the width. A lot of people are called by God to minister to three people. That's your call, do it. Three kids, whatever. But, but there's a place in his heart for everybody. And there's a part in there. And you want to find that part in his heart. All right, I'm going to quit. I'm going to take about two minutes. I'm going to quit. If you, anybody here remember Mission Impossible? I know you young people wish I'd watch some modern shows. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> Old thing, Mission Impossible. would always start the guy getting an assignment. And he would always say, if you choose to accept this mission. He'd always end up saying, if you choose to accept this mission. Do you listen to me? God is on mission in the earth. He's working in this earth to help people. And there's a place in his heart for you. And, and he wants you to have your part in his heart. Don't waste your life just taking care of you. Be a part of what he's doing in the earth. And forget this standing behind a pulpit stuff. He don't call many people to do this. This ain't, this ain't all there is to ministry. My wife is called of God to teach school and to be a godly school teacher. She was, well, she was created for me first. Well, him first. Okay, you can have it first. Then me, and then number three, she was created to teach children. She eats, breathes, and sleeps it. She delights in it. She loves it. She's good at it. She's as old as I am almost now. She'll be going 20 more years. What did the, what did the man say? Find something you enjoy doing. You'll never work a day in your life. Find your part in God's heart. It'll not be labor. You pay to do it. All right, let me quit by saying this. If you find your part in his heart, a couple things will happen to you. Number one, your life will take on meaning and purpose. You won't just be, you won't go get something to eat. You won't just be floating through life trying to pay the bills. Your, your life will have a purpose. And in your heart, you'll know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Your purpose will rise to the forefront. Number two, you'll delight in it. You will delight in it. I'm, I, I love the, I've always, I'm trying to center it for a few months here on the verse, Psalm 40, verse eight. I delight to do your will. 
Your plans are the absolute dream of my heart. I, I told you about a doctor friend of mine, this lady, she uh, her, her father was a doctor. She became a doctor, Birmingham, Alabama. And she was single. She never wanted to get married because she was smart. And she decided not to get married. So she went to UAB, got her degree, got her medical, you know, did her stuff, became a doctor in Birmingham and uh, bought, her a little, bought her a house. No, it wasn't a little house, nice house. And got a swimming pool, got, bought her a little BMW, having life great. Well, she, to be a nice girl, because you know what nice girls do, they take mission trips. She took a mission trip with her church to a, a little remote place in uh, Honduras. And she got there and she had the best time with them nasty little street children, just urchins is all they are. Kid, our, we can't imagine how people live in other parts of the world. It was God didn't love America. It's not what it says, although he does. God so loved the world. His heart for the whole world. And let me tell you something about America and the world in his eyes. Unto whom much is given, much is expected. All right. So she gets down there and she has a great time with this mission trip, has the best time with these kids, just loving on them and helping them and doctoring them and teaching them. And she comes back home and she's back to her little doctor lifestyle, driving her little BMW and living her little life. And she said, I'd lay in the bed at night and think about those kids. She could not get them off her mind. Couldn't get them off her heart. Well, you know how he is. Long story short, she came to a crisis of faith and she had to make some adjustments. Goodbye, nice home. Goodbye, BMW. Hello, sweaty jungle. Last time I saw her, we went, I mean, Jesus couldn't have found her where she is at. We went way back through the woods, four-wheel driving, came on this little block building. We got out, we slammed the truck, doors got out. 90 little urchins came running out of there because they know them fat Americans bring candy and here we come. They weren't interested in the gospel. They wanted the candy to start with. And she's running this little orphanage thing, caring for these kids, street kids nobody wants. Hot, nasty, you know, they got boogers on them. It's just nasty. And I thought, you gave up all that money and all that prestige and all that to come down here and sweat in this jungle with these nasty little youngins. And we got ready to go and we were talking to her and I said, let me ask you, I said, you're about one of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. She said, I have found the reason to live. She just loves it. Does that make sense to you? Give up all that money and all that prestige and that she only worked, I don't know how long doctors work. Mine, if he worked about 20 minutes a day, he'd make a living for what he charges me. I don't know how long they work. But the deal is, she had what the world called great, but something was, it was okay here, but it wasn't great. She found her part in God's heart and she's living the dream. You will delight in what he wants you to do. Now, you, you ain't got to pack up and go to Honduras or Guatemala or it might be right here in this county. Let me tell you something. God loves this city. He has a heart for this city. My heart aches over this city. And let him show you your part in his heart. Number three, you'll have passion. Let me tell you what I see in America right now. We're a passionless society because we are a featherless era in this land. We're just eating we got our luxury cars. We got our luxury lives. We got our luxury jobs. We're going to watch a movie and we are bored silly in this nation. Waiting for the next craft beer to come out. Been there, done that. You find God's part in your heart. You will fly out of bed in the mornings. You will live with passion because he's a passionate father. God is not lazy. That sounded terrible. He is on mission passionate to help people. And he'll put his passion in your heart. 
when you find it. Or somebody just said, you don't know my circumstances, I can't do it. Buy you this book right here and read it. He can make it happen. And then listen to this, listen to this. Number four, you'll find accomplishment. Moses, all he was going to do is just work a job and feed his family. He delivers 2 million people and builds one of the greatest nations on earth. He wasn't planning on that. All he wanted to do is just feed the youngins and keep Zipporah happy. What do you reckon he called Zipporah for short? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Zipper. I tell her zip is what I do after she got fussing at him. <laughs> Nehemiah had a great job. All he was going to do is live his simple little life, hang out at the country club. He rebuilds an entire city and saves the people. Because I want you to, I want you to delight in life, but I want you to accomplish something in life. I want you to get to the end of your life and realize I've done something with my life. I didn't just run the cheeseburger sign up at McDonald's. I have done something with my life. People's lives have been changed because I was here. You said, man, I'm, I'm just barely hanging on myself. You just the one he's fixing the holler for. He uses people like this. I, I pray for you, every one of you. I pray that he knock your socks off just like he did Moses. And you, but I pray that like Moses, you'll say, Got all these reasons I can't, but you know what? I'm fixing to get crazy here, Jesus. Let's go. Let's go, Jesus. And you just follow him and, and let him go wherever he says go to. Why don't you start praying like the Bible says? Why don't you just instead of saying, Father, help me not to swear and help me not to steal. Why don't you look up to heaven and say, let me and you do something great in this earth. Priest, I didn't even get out of high school. Oh, you're a great candidate for him. Listen, just start praying prayers like this. I'm so old. A walker would be a good day for me. Let's mean you do something great in the earth. Hey, that's him right there. I want you to be those kind of folks. I want you to find your part in his heart. And of course, when it's all said and done, what are we all going to say? Didn't I do good? To God be the glory. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Ain't he something? The whole purpose is to glorify him by letting him show off in the earth. Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you and thank you. I, this religious thing we got in this land about try to be good and go to church, give a little money. Where did we get that from? It didn't come out of your book. You opened your heart to people and showed them what you're doing in the earth. Disqualified people who were incapable. They were tangled up in the affairs of life. And you just knocked their socks off and said, here's what I'm doing. Come on. All through the Bible, Peter, Saul, Paul, Moses, Nehemiah, Ruth, Deborah, all through the Bible, you just said, here's what I'm doing. Come on, let's go. And the people that said, let's go, man, they're, every one of them are just common people, but what storybook stories we see. Oh, Father, Lord Jesus, when you, were, you told us to pray, you, you were looking at people. You said, look at the people. Lift up your eyes. And pray for the Father to put laborers into the harvest. The harvest is so great. People are so needy, but the laborers are so few. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Father, you know, I pray this to you all the time. I, 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 I'm sorry, sir. I get so ill with religion where we just waste our time doing religious stuff instead of really helping people. I pray in Jesus' name out of this house right here, put laborers into the field. Just like the little girl, that, the young lady who saw pregnant teenagers, rather than driving by them and say they ought to be ashamed, pull over and say, I'll help you. Put, them in, put that in their hearts here. 
I, I shouldn't name that one. I'm sorry, Lord. Put, put in their hearts. Well, it's already written. I pray in Jesus' name. Crash their hearts with your plans. Show them what you're doing in the earth and say to them, now join me. Come on, let's go. I'm going to do it. I'm sending you. We're going together. I pray for every person in this room to know the joy of what it's like to be rescuing the earth with Jesus one person at a time. One whatever. It's good to worship you. I like that stuff. It's good to let you speak to us through your words. It's good to fellowship with you. But Father, the missing element is here am I, send me today. And the, the emptiness among Christianity is not because the music's not good. We never had better music. We have disco lights now, Jesus. We've never had better teaching in the earth. We've never had nicer buildings. But the missing element is the sin me. Show me my part. What am I supposed to be doing? What do you want, where do you want me helping you at? I pray that for every person in this room that they find your part, their part in your heart. I trust you for that. Thank you for hearing my prayer tonight. You're so good to listen to me pray because you're just wonderful. I give you the praise and glory in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.